If you're in that Finding the Rock class, exit through the back door. There we go. All right. Now, I think just about everybody's got the addendum. Oh, no. Okay, they're moving as quickly as they can. Uh, It's good to have all of you here tonight on a Wednesday night. I'm so blessed to see this many people on Wednesday night. It almost looks like when we teach Revelations. And that's sort of the all-time blockbuster. But this is close. You must want to learn about healing. I think a lot of people have a lot of questions about it. And this is an eight-week series. Now, while they're passing us out, let me reiterate what what this is all about. The Bible says in Ephesians that God gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do the work of the ministry. Is that what it says? No. To prepare the saints to do the work of the ministry. Most people, most churches don't do it that way. But I believe that when everybody starts doing the work of the ministry and really catch that vision, the church explodes exponentially because then it's not just one person or a few people doing it, but everybody is out there doing the work of the ministry. Now we're, we're looking for three things in this series. You don't have to do either three. You don't have to do any of them. But, but here are the options that we need people uh, down here in the altar praying for the sick. When this uh, series is done, we're gonna start conducting our services this way. At the end of weekend services, Saturday night, Sunday morning, I'm going to dismiss the crowd, but then say, if you need prayer for your body, if you're sick, if you need a breakthrough, we have people trained down here who are ready to pray for you. All right? That'll happen after the service is dismissed. So we can let the main crowd out. Those that need prayer will come down. They'll get their prayer and then we'll go on home. Now, second thing, hospital visitation. We're getting so much hospital visitation, I can't do all of them anymore. The staff is getting where we can't do them all anymore. We need people who know how to pray for others, who've been trained in hospital visitation protocol to go also for us in the name of Jesus and pray for the sick and visit them. Jesus said, I was, in, I was sick and you visited me, right? And then last, we're going to have a healing room. The healing room at the beginning will be open about once a month. When we open up that healing room, time and place yet to be announced, we will have trained people and some staff in there for the sick to come on a given night and receive prayer for whatever it is they need healing for. And we're going to minister to them. And as you're going to see in this series, there's way more involved than just slapping oil on somebody's forehead and saying, in Jesus' name, be healed. Amen. There's way more to it. And we're going to see that in this series. So you who have begun, finish this series strong. You need every one of them. Uh, they, are, they connect to one another. So let's pray right now and get into tonight's uh, message. Father, we just thank you right now that there is healing in the house, and that Jesus is a healer. And we thank you, Lord, that we read that he went about everywhere doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Now, Lord, tonight we pray that you will speak to us and that you will, Lord, help us to understand this whole arena of healing. Help us, Lord, to be balanced in it. Help us to be sound in it. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth in it. We thank you, Lord, for depositing these things in our spirit. Can you breathe a prayer, Lord, uh, church, and just say, Lord, speak to me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen. It's going to be good tonight. You're going to need it. Amen. Now, last time, we talked about how the West, and it's a little bit academic, And and we're here to learn. I've always seen Wednesday night as educational. I've always seen it that way. We need to be inspired and we need to be educated. The Bible says study. Did you know the Bible says that? Study to show yourself approved unto God. 
So a little bit academic in this series, but let me remind you those, how many were not here last week? Let me try. You were not here? Wow. Praise God. That's a lot of people. Well, then let me quickly let you know that we talked about how the West has been influenced by what we would call enlightenment thinking or the age of reason, 18th century uh, intellectual movement in Europe where men decided that reason was more important than faith. Reason. If I can, if I can sense it with my senses and prove that it's real in a laboratory, it's real. The age of reason. If it's not provable, if I can't see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, feel it, then it's not real. Taking that a little bit further, there is no such thing as the supernatural. There is only what you can sense, and anything else is not so. Age of reason, enlightenment thinking. That intellectual movement affected all of Europe, and it came over into the West here, infiltrated virtually all of our universities, and unfortunately, a lot of our seminaries. So that when you look back on the Bible, you say, well, supernatural stuff might have been real then, but it's not real now. It's not real now. We talked about deism. Deism is when you believe that God created everything and then just stepped out of the picture and never to involve himself in the affairs of men anymore at all. He created, he walked away. He doesn't answer prayer. He doesn't move in the supernatural. He's just out there somewhere flinging other stars into space and, and does not involve himself in our lives. That's deism. Now, if you look at America as a whole, America is right now primarily deistic. Most Americans, a lot of church people will tell you, well, you know what? I just believe that, yeah, Jesus did some miracles. Jesus was the son of God, but after the 12 apostles died out, then all the miracles went with them. There's no more miracles. It all died out with them. They quote the verse, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. That which is perfect, they say, is the completed canon, the word of God. When that which was completed, when that which is perfect is come, the Bible you hold in your hand, then that which is in part, prophecies, miracles, tongues, so on and so forth, passed away. Passed away with the 12 apostles, died off with John, who was the last one to, to go. So now we have a record of miracles, sort of a history book, but it doesn't happen for us anymore. God doesn't do this anymore. And that's gotten into the church. Some of you think that way. Our question last time was, is that true? Is that real? Is that the way it really is? Has God stopped doing miracles? Has God stopped moving? Does, does a supernatural God invade time and space, interrupt natural order, and do miracles anymore? That's the question of the day. And we talked about folks called cessationists, not sensationists, cessationists. That is, they believe miracles have ceased. So they are cessationists. They believe miracles are done with, over with. So if somebody gets sick, if somebody receives a bad report, let's say they're told they have cancer or some terrible heart disease, can they expect for God in answer to prayer to intervene and touch them? Or do they simply Chalk it up to, well, God's going to teach me through this, and if I die from this, I will be healed when I get to heaven. Now, I believe you will be healed when you get to heaven. But here's the rub. The rub is, must you only believe that healing happens when you go to heaven, and it will not happen in the here and now, in time and space, amongst us in real life, before we go to heaven? That's the question. And that's a, it's a big controversy out there in the church world. 
So we're dealing with that because where we stand is, it's true that if or when you die, we all will unless the rapture happens. And I'd love to be on that train, or I should say that plane. I'd love to be there. But if, if, if we die before the rapture happens, I believe we'll be instantly made whole, instantly healed. Every tear is wiped away. No more cancer, no more heart disease, no more extra strength, etc. No more Valium, no more anxiety attacks, no more nothing because you're healed in heaven. But we also believe that God answers prayer in the here and now. And I'm gonna be the first to tell you, I don't understand why everybody is not healed when they're prayed for. I've read and I've listened to some of the people who have been most involved in healing ministries throughout the centuries. And one of them, uh, I heard personally say, my first question to God is going to be, why weren't they all healed? I've seen some healed dramatically. Why weren't they all healed? It's a mystery. But, but let me ask you this. When Billy Graham preaches to a stadium full of 50,000 people, and let's say 40,000 of them are lost, and 1,000 come down to get saved and 39,000 don't, does that mean you quit preaching the gospel? No, because 1,000 got saved. So if I pray for 10 people and one gets healed and nine don't, does that mean that I quit praying for the sick? No. Part of it, we must leave to the sovereignty and the purposes and the mysteries of God. But the bottom line is, do we pray for the sick and do we expect and believe that God heals now? Yes, we do. Now, let's, let's start tonight. Week two is healing as kingdom demonstration. Now, what was God's original design? Let's go back to the very beginning. I love Genesis, the book of beginnings, because I like beginnings. I like to see where the beginning began and how it began. Look what it said. Then God said, let us, there's proof of the Godhead right there, Father, Son, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's plural. Let us make man in our plural image after our plural likeness. And let them have dominion. Can everybody say dominion with me? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That, That covers everything. He just covered everything that God created that is alive. He gave man dominion over it. Now, God designed man to be rightly related to God, connected to God, and as God's representative to extend God's authority within creation. That's what we were anointed and designed to do. All right? Representatives of God. I believe if you and I could see Adam before the fall, we would just fall on our face in disbelief at what we saw. I believe he glowed with the Shekinah glory of God. I believe to see Adam before the fall was just awe-inspiring because he was made in man's, in God's image, made in God's image as God's representative. God is the owner and he made man, what everybody? The steward. You don't own anything. You're just renting it. You're overseeing it. You're a steward over it. You say, well, no, I own my house. No, you don't. Just talk to somebody who lost theirs in the blink of an eye. You don't own anything. We're stewards, period. Now, creation is designed to be ruled by man in right relationship to God. The heavens are the Lord's, the psalmist said. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. How awesome is that? But tragically, sin entered the human race through Adam. What that did, the shock waves from that, are almost impossible to comprehend. When man sinned, it affected everything. Look what Paul wrote in Romans. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. 
Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now what he's telling us here is we all inherited a sin nature. We were all born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We're all born with a disease. The disease is called sin. You cannot get away from that. And the way we know what sin is, is by the law. If the commandments had not been given to Moses, we would never have fully understood what sin was. But when Moses came down from the mountain with those commandments, thou shalt not have any, uh, uh, make any false idols and, and uh, worship any graven image and thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not this and that and the other and all the Ten Commandments. When we read that, our sin became clear. It became apparent. The law was not given with God expecting us to obey it. He knew we couldn't. The law was given so we could see the exceeding sinfulness of our sin. It was like a microscope. And when man read that law, they went, oh my gosh, oh no. I've sinned here, I've sinned there, I've sinned this, I've done that. I am hopelessly a sinner. And the law was given as a schoolmaster to whip us to Christ. Because we said, I can't obey it, no matter how hard I try. When I get this one right, I do that one wrong. When I think I've got this one whipped, I break that one. I can't live it. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then God says, my son will. My son will. So the law whipped us, pushed us, prodded us into grace by faith and what Jesus Christ did for us. Now, since the fall of man, until Jesus, there had not been a man rightly related to God who could, as God's representative, exercise God's authority over creation. When Adam sinned, he lost his place. And it was tragic. He was kicked out of the garden, driven out by the cherubim, and the gate was closed. And the devil became the prince of this world. Adam gave up his authority, gave up his place, and Satan usurped it. This is basic New Testament teaching. Satan usurped it and began to exercise authority over this world because man gave it up. And once Adam gave it up, there was no man who could be found who could regain that authority. There wasn't one. Not David, not Solomon, not any of the prophets, not Daniel, because they had all been born in sin. They all carried the curse. They all had that fallen nature. As the first man since the fall, in right relationship with God, Jesus, everybody say Jesus. This is why there's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus was able to rightfully exercise dominion within the earth and subdue that which was not in alignment with God's purpose. Jesus alone could regain that authority. That's why he could walk on water. He could defy natural law. He could step through a closed locked door and then eat fish at the very same time. Demons fell in front of him and said, please don't torment us before the day of judgment. Why? Because he did not have a fallen nature. He had never sinned. And he, he had the authority to regain and retake the authority that Adam had lost. So the impact and the influence that he wielded over nature and over the world and over life was unprecedented since pre-fallen Adam. Healing is one primary example of Jesus exercising kingdom authority and power in this way. To better understand healing, let's just take a look at God's temple, all right? Let's go back to the Old Testament and look at the temple. First of all, the Bible says about now in the New Testament, say with me, I am the temple. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, for us to read that, we're Gentiles. We're not real familiar with the Old Testament temple, what it meant. We didn't live back then when the temple was such a serious thing. And there was that holy of holies where the Shekinah glory dwelt. We didn't live back then. So it doesn't impact us 
or, and we don't really understand what was in Paul's mind when he used the word temple, what that word conjured in his mind. He goes on and says again in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your life because you are no longer your own. You are purchased by God. You're not your own man. You're not your own woman. You are God's. He owns you. You are owned. And he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit of the living God, putting him inside of you as a mark of ownership. Matter of fact, you are signed, sealed, and delivered. There's only one thing left for you, and that's to go up. You're either going to go up from a grave when the rapture happens, or you're going up if you're still alive when the rapture happens then. Either way, you're signed, you're sealed, and you're delivered. And as far as God's concerned, you're already there. It's only a matter of time catching up with spiritual reality. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are already there. Now, that's right. Now, in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where God lived among his people. So important, because since he's called us the temple, look at what it meant in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the temple was not just a building. You aren't just a body. The temple was not just a building where God's people gathered to worship. The temple was the place where God lived among his people once they possessed the land. Look at the Bible says, and it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and the other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, Quote, for he is good. Let's read this together, everybody. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory filled the house of God. Now, that's the temple. You are now the temple. What happened back then? The glory filled the house. What happened when you got saved? The glory filled the house. I want you to get it now. The glory filled the house. This is just New Testament reality. That's why, man, when you've been born again, something powerful has happened to you. That's why Jesus said you must be born from above. Born again. Born of the Spirit. Because when the blood cleanses your heart, the Spirit of God comes in and the glory fills the present day house, your body. Let's look at the temple a little bit further. The temple was comprised of three areas, outer court, holy place, and most holy place. In the most holy place, or we call it the holy of holies, behind the veil were the ark of the testimony, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Now, what does that veil represent that separated the inner court from the Holy of Holies? Separation, unable to see and experience heavenly reality. God's presence was covered with a veil. Only the priest, the high priest, could go into that Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice and get right back out. The rest of the people could not partake of that Shekinah glory. But there are times when God reveals his presence. The word for revelation in the New Testament is apocalypsis. And it means to lift the veil. It's where we get apocalypse. The book of Revelations is called the apocalypse. It's when God lifted the veil and allowed us to see what's going to happen in the last days. If he hadn't lifted the veil, we would never know what's going to happen in the last days. But he gave the apocalypse, the revelation of St. John. Now we call God's presence, his revealed presence, his manifest presence. 
Manifest means visible, perceived, felt. I like to call it tangible. Now, the Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies was this way. It was God's manifest presence. His visible, perceived, felt, tangible presence. I can almost sense it right now. When revelation happens, when the veil lifts, what previously was covered is uncovered and therefore is manifest. In the most holy place within the tabernacle, God's presence was manifest as a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. It was there all the time in the Holy of Holies. God's manifest, tangible, visible, touchable presence. In the most holy place within the temple, the manifestation of God's presence was referenced as God's Shekinah glory. Look what it says, quote, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. This is the tabernacle in the wilderness. Covered the tent of meeting and the glory, weight, splendor of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and it was too awesome for him to even go in there. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would move on. As long as the cloud sat there, they stayed. When the cloud moved, they moved. If the fire by night moved, they pulled up tent and moved with it. They moved when the, when the presence moved, they stayed when the presence stayed. Great picture of God's guidance in our life. If you lose your peace, stay where you are. If you're looking at making a decision and God takes his peace away, that's, that's, that's the glory talking out of the temple saying, hold your horses, wait on me, stay where there's peace, be guided by my spirit and by my word, be just like they were. Now, we know that God is omnipresent, that he is fully present in all places at all times. But guess what? His presence is not fully manifest in all places at all times. He sees everything, but the manifest presence is not everywhere. I guarantee I could take you to some places tonight, though I don't want to. But there are some drug houses, porno houses, places of evil and wickedness. I guarantee you, though God sees it, his presence is not there. God's manifest presence is not everywhere. His eye sees everything, but God's presence isn't everywhere. His presence abides among his people. His presence abides in the New Testament temple. His presence abides when he's worshiped in spirit and in truth. And that's why I love getting together with God's people. And that's why I don't believe in getting your church off the television. I thank God for some Christian TV, not all Christian TV, but some of it. I don't watch much of it, but I'm going to tell you, God's not raising up Teletubby Christians. God doesn't raise up Teletubby Christians. God wants Christians who are fellowshipping together, worshiping together, because when we come together and we worship together, the glory that is in the New Testament temple spills out and we experience the presence of God. And that doesn't happen by TV. Now, Moses wanted to experience the manifestation of God's glory. And when he did, his face shone for quite a while. As a result, he was like a Christmas bulb at night. They had to put a veil over his face. He didn't even know when he came down from the mountain, he was glowing. He was a lantern. They said, Moses, Moses, your face is shining. Really? I wasn't aware of it. You've been in the glory and the glory is a tangible presence. And now it's sitting on you. We've got to cover your face. We can't look at it powerful. The root of the word glory means weightiness. We still use that idea on a human level. When somebody is figuratively referred to as a heavyweight in a particular area, we mean that they have great significance or influence. They have a certain glory. So when we say that the temple is the place where God lived among the people, we are talking about God's presence actually being manifest in that temple. That's what they experienced with the temple. That's why it was so important because that's where God manifested his Shekinah presence. But now 
You are the temple. His presence was manifested, revealed, and uncovered in that little room behind the veil called the most holy place. The temple is where heaven and earth overlap and intersect. Now catch that thought. Let me read it again. The temple is where heaven and earth overlap and intersect. Some of you may be thinking, but I thought God was in heaven. The temple was on the earth. It was earthly. God is a spirit and exists in a heavenly spiritual realm or dimension. How could we say of a certain place on earth that God lived there if God is in heaven? Well, that's a great question because when we're speaking of God's manifest presence, we're really talking about a heavenly reality being revealed in the earthly realm. Now stay with me. Watch this. We understand that heaven and earth are two separate places. Understand with me tonight, church. Heaven is a place. The kingdom of God is a condition. What do I mean by that? Well, heaven is a geographical place, and we're all going to go there one day. But the kingdom of God is a condition, and, is to, and we're told in the Bible what it is. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So heaven is a place. The kingdom of God is a condition. Now, heaven and earth being two distinct places... That's our experience. So what do we mean when we say that there are places on earth where heaven and earth intersect? In Genesis 1 through 3, we see a garden that God walked in during the cool of the day. We see trees that grow fruit that is knowledge or life. In the beginning, heaven and earth may not have been the same place, but they seem to overlap in some very interesting ways. When Jacob was fleeing from Esau, he experienced this. Look what Jacob said. He awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Look what was happening. Heaven and earth were intersecting. And Jacob saw it. God is a spirit. And he lives in a spiritual realm the Bible calls heaven. You might say, but I thought God dwelt in the holy place behind the veil, which is on the earth. Which is it? Well, before the fall, heaven and earth overlapped in some mysterious but significant ways. After the fall, they became distinct places, but still at least seemed to intersect in certain ways. Behind the veil, heaven and earth are the same place. They intersect and overlap. When Jesus returns, heaven and earth will once again become the same place. Look what John says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice, says John, from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is where everybody? With man. He will dwell where? With them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And look what God will do. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. Now, when a Jew like Paul uses the word temple, he's not just talking about a building. He's talking about a place where heaven and earth are somehow the same place, where they intersect. Can I tell you something tonight, folks? Since you're the New Testament temple, you are where heaven and earth intersect. Now, I want you to catch this because this has a lot to do with understanding healing. In the Old Testament temple, that's where heaven came to earth and intersected. When you went into the Holy of Holies, there was the presence of God. 
Now Paul says, guess what? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So right now, you are where heaven and earth intersect. You want to know where God is in the earth? In his people. You are the temple. Now let me read it again. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Why was he always saying to the church, don't you know? Don't you get it? Are you sure you understand? Because they didn't know, and they didn't get it, and they fully didn't understand. And I want us to get it tonight. God's people are where heaven and earth intersect. In the new covenant, you are the place where God lives in manifest presence. You are the place where heaven and earth intersect. You are the conduit through which heaven can now invade earth. Mm-mm-mm. Think about that. Think about that. How in the world is God going to reach this earth through you? How is his power going to be manifest through you? How is the light going to shine through you? How is anybody ever going to be saved through you? Say with me, I am conduit. And he said to them, when you pray, this is Jesus now, Say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. He said, let thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the principle. The superior heavenly reality can displace earthly reality by the Holy Spirit's presence and power in answer to prayer. Put simply, whereas it was the Old Testament temple where God's presence dwelt in Old Testament times, it is now the, it is now the bodies of God's redeemed where his presence dwells. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells in you. The significance of this is that the Christian is a conduit for God's love and power in the earth. Now read to me, read out loud what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Do you see what he invested in his people? The light, the salt, the reality of the kingdom of God. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they ever know without a witness? Let your light, Jesus said, show, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, for the lost world to glorify God, they see him in you. And they see what he's done in you, and they look up and glorify God. And the believer is also a conduit for the power of God via the prayer of faith. The power of God's Spirit residing in the believer is released by prayer. Jesus said, read this with me, these signs shall follow those who believe. Now stop right there. How many in here believe in God? How many in here believe in Christ? How many of you have been born again? All right. He said, these signs will follow along like a little puppy dog following you. I, I, I've got four dogs in my house. One of them is in love with me and I'm in love with this dog. I love this little dog. Little, uh, my, our latest dog. We have four. I know I'm crazy, but we rescue them. This little dog has just fallen in love. It's become my running buddy. And when I head for the door, I don't even have to wonder what I'm going to see when I turn around and look. There he's going to be, tail wagging, looking up at me with this impossible to resist face. Please take me with you. And everywhere I go, he follows. Everywhere I go, there he is. Anywhere in the house, he's my shadow. Now look, it says, these signs shall follow along those who believe. Are you ready? Now watch this. Jesus said, in my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, not on purpose, that's stupid. That's tempting God. We don't bring rattlesnakes to this church. And we don't drink poison just to prove that we can do it. This is talking about if somebody tries to hurt you and it's not God's time for you to go home. 
That's what it's talking about. He says, it will by no means hurt them. And read the last part with me. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, so much for cessationism. So much for it ended with the apostles. Because it does not say, these signs shall follow the twelve. It says, these signs shall follow those who believe. Well, that's millions and millions and millions and, and quadrillions of people. Not the, just the twelve. And what will happen? They will lay hands. Now, here we come to a reality. The power of God, the glory of God resides in the temple of God. You are God's temple. The Spirit of God dwells in you. You are a conduit. Notice that by the laying out of hands, virtue is released into the body of the sick. We see this virtue operating in Christ Jesus. When the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, she just touched the hem of what he was wearing. But it was so supercharged with the manifest presence of God, and she had faith to draw it out, that all she had to do was touch something attached to him. And virtue, dunamis, the Greek word, power, flowed out of the garment. It was a tangible, resting reality. And it went into her body, and she knew immediately that something had happened. Jesus said, he turned around and said, somebody touched me. And, and they said, Lord, there's a bunch of people touching you. What's the matter with you? And he said, no, this was not that kind of touch. This was the touch of faith. And the touch of faith has pulled something out of me. And I'm very aware that virtue just flowed out of my body and into someone. Who was it? And the woman came up to him and said, I'm so, you know, and she humbled herself and said, it was me, it was me. I need to be healed. Go your way. Your faith has made you whole. That's what... He said, I, I perceived dunamis power going out from me. James instructed the church, look at this. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Doing what? Say it with me. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Is there anything magic in the oil? No. But there is a conduit principle. The principle of touch. The principle of praying. A prayer of faith. And the principle of obedience. It doesn't matter and, and I don't mean to be sacrilegious here. It doesn't have to be olive oil straight from Israel. I believe you could use Crisco and God would move. It, it's not, and, and, I'm, I, and I'm not making fun. I, we anoint with oil. But it's the prayer of faith. And it is, it is that the, the power of God is resonant within God's people. It's not that person and it's not that oil. It's not that person's skin. It is something is released from within the believer who is the New Testament temple. Look what he says. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will do what? Raise him up. Now, once again, this goes way beyond the 12. This isn't just addressed to the 12. The elders of the church were not of the 12. Yeah, they were just elders in a church. Here again, the mention of touch is made on the part of the one praying. It's not that the one praying has any special power in his or her own skin. And never think that you do. Because you don't. But it is the idea of virtue flowing out of the one in whom dwells the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, they shall lay hands on the sick. James said, anointing the sick with oil. Now, before I come to the homework and we close, I want you to leave tonight thinking about these things. That first of all, by God's amazing grace, and it ought to humble us, it ought to put us on the floor and say, oh God, it is amazing grace. That, that you have hidden this treasure in an earthen vessel. This treasure, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God has been put into this earthen vessel clay pot. And what that means, the power of that, 
the blessing of that. I wouldn't want to be in this world five minutes without the Holy Spirit. I'm standing in front of you because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't be a preacher. I'd have never even thought about it. There is a power in God's people that we don't need to marginalize or minimize. Think about that. And also think that when you pray for someone, the prayer of faith, there is a power that is released. I can tell you there have been times I've prayed for people and I have felt power go out of me. What my power? It doesn't puff me up. It doesn't make me prideful at all. But I've been so aware of it, so, so keenly aware of it that I have prayed and felt virtue go out. And I've seen God touch and deliver and, and, and minister to people. And I've walked away as amazed as anybody else. What happened? It wasn't anything great about Jeff. I know what Jeff Wickwire is. I'm redeemed by grace, period. But there is a power in God's people. There is a, a virtue. And, and I want us to get tonight that when we go to somebody who is in need, we just take them by the hand. And we just say, let me pray for you. I believe that there is an anointing and there is a blessing and there is a principle to the laying out of hands and to, to touch. Holy, sanctified touch of faith. Now, God can heal with you sitting there and nobody touching you. God can do whatever God wants to do. But he has chosen to more times than not, when you pray for the sick, you pray for them. And I, I tell people in the hospital all the time and in the altar all the time, can I just, I'm going to lay hands on you now and I'm going to pray for you. And there is a release and there is a virtue. And there is something that goes from me to them which really comes from him through me to them. This is a reality. So this week, meditate on the passages having to do with the Christian being the New Testament temple of God. The glory abides in you, an earthen vessel. That's why he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. You are the container of an incredible power from God, God's very person. Isn't that powerful? Can we stand together tonight? I'm going to tell you. When I got called to preach, I was scared to death. I was terribly insecure. I went to a man at a Bible study in the 1970s. And I'd been under his teaching. He was really, really strong in, in the things of God. Great teacher. And I said, I can't escape this. I'm called to preach, but, but I just don't know what to do. I have no clue. He said, let's go into another room. We were in a normal house with normal doors, thin walls. You know my voice. My voice can cut through steel. I have to watch it. But I'm in a middle room and one little door between me and a whole room full of young people just like me. Just a regular door. Just a regular house door. And I went in there and he said, let's sit down and I want to pray with you. And I took his hands. Now, I've shared this once in public, but I'm going to venture out and I'm going to tell you what happened quickly. I took his hands. It was like I grabbed hold of honest to goodness electric cables. And I went as limp as a rag. And I'm not going to go into everything that happened that night. But I can tell you this, he got up to leave and I never even knew he got up to leave. 
And I, all I could do was cry out the name of Jesus. That's all that I could do. That was the only acceptable thing to do because I was just enveloped in a power that I just, I, if you gave me a year, I could not find the adjectives for it. Calling out with all of my, I mean, at the top of my voice, the name of Jesus. Time went by. There was a great big grandfather clock in the room. When it stopped, I looked at that clock and I've been in there about 45 minutes, crying out. I thought, man, when I walk out, they're all gonna be sitting there looking at me like this. What happened to you? I walked out there, no one had heard one thing. Not one thing. I know that that night was my ordination to preach the word. I know it was. And something happened. And I, I don't even fully know today what was done, but something was done. But how did it all start? The laying out of hands. Now, I don't want us to go all weird and spooky and expecting all kinds of... I'm just telling you that the ministry of the laying out of hands is a real Bible principle. And, and the glory is in you. The power of God is in you. And faith is in you. And sometimes God chooses to release that through you to, to heal somebody. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you right now that, Lord, your word is true. And, Lord, all the time you touched people and they were healed. Your primary mode was to touch them and they were healed. And now, Lord, tonight we see that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, to increase our understanding of this, to enhance our grasp of this, this very week, so that, Lord, you can prepare us to do the work of the ministry, to see signs and wonders and miracles and healings, interventions in the lives of people who need help. In Jesus' name. I will worship you for.